but in America, it's like, what do you want to do? Ride a three-wheeler at the gun range? Okay, go for it. (laughs) Anything goes. Hello, I'm Justin. I'm Mark. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Welcome to episode 40. Today we'll be talking about flying with a baby. And Mark, why don't you take it away on the updates? Coda is five months old now. He just turned five months uh, this week, two days ago. So I guess by the time this comes out, he'll be five months in a week. He is a big boy. They show you that little graph when you go to the doctors of the weight range. And he's always just like, just pushing the edge of that top line. So mm-hmm. for five months now, he's nine, just over nine kilo. Yeah, he's doing really good. He We started some solid food. I say solid with air quotes mm-hmm. because it's like the liquidy rice water gruel that you were talking about before and uh he really likes it he's taken to it pretty quick there's no issue with eating with this kid isn't it crazy how you basically hold a spoon up to him for the first time and they just use it they eat yeah, out of a spoon opens his mouth and he's like okay put stuff in <laughs> Let's do this. Yeah. It's it's weird how it's almost instinctual for them. Um, mm. But I guess they like to, you know, shove everything in their mouth anyway. So it makes sense. You're perv- like you're handing them an opportunity to put something in their mouth. They're going to take it. Dude, seriously. He lives like half his day right now with either, one of either hand like jammed in his mouth. <laughs> I think, by the way, that Coda has officially passed Nico in weight then. Cause, oh, um, really? We did kind of an unofficial wait the other day where my wife weighed herself and then weighed herself holding Nico and we figured it out. Uh, and it was in pounds. He's like a 19 pounder now, Ooh. which I just converted to kilograms and it was only like 8.6 or 8.7 kilograms. Ooh. But he's still a little bit longer. Yeah, I think. I think yeah, Coda's Nico got is the a, chunkiness. He's a stout young man, that Coda. He is. Yeah, we also went to... Uh, just today, actually, we went to a little Kodomo Inn nearby. It's like a combination day, daycare preschool place where we'll eventually, I don't know if it's this place or not, but eventually we'll take him to when Moe goes back to work mm-hmm. so I can have some free time during the day. Um, is it all ages kind of mixed together? Kodomo Inn sounds like it's a big pile of kids there. It's more integrated for sure, but I think it tops out. I was asking them and I think it tops out at five years old because that's the age usually you ship them off to elementary school and stuff the one that we're going to use when we uh you know go back to work it's pretty strictly like all the zeros are in this room the ones are in the next room the twos are in the next room and it's all divided up that way yeah it sounds like it's the same in this place they do have like a free area that you can just go in there with your kid and hang out and it's kind of they say it's like five kids max at a time and I assume mm-hmm. that's with parents, so you'll mm-hmm. maybe get like a a mixing of different ages, but it's still like under five years old. I think that's all we got. Um, yeah, I think you're the one with the, the big updates, being in a whole new country. We are all updates over here. We have traveled to the United States since our last episode, and uh, all three of us, my wife, me, and the baby... Um, wow. he's six months, he's knocking on the door of seven months. So, um, mm. he'll be seven months here in a, a week or so. 
but yeah, we're in the U.S. Everything's different. Everything is wild. And um, yeah. <laughs> I think one thing, uh, we talked about this in the last episode. It was the uh, what's known as hitomishiri, which mm. is when a baby is afraid to meet new people or just has the kind of stranger anxiety. Nico had that pretty seriously. And it was like in Japan there two, three weeks ago up to a month and a half ago. Every time he met someone or even saw someone at any proximity, he would just sort of get this frown on his face and start getting really fussy and crying. Hmm. Um, And then I think what cures a child of that is put them through like three flights in four (laughs) airports. And then they see hundreds and hundreds of new people right up in their face. There were little children in the airports. Like if we had a layover, kids would come up and just play with them, you know, wow. um, little like, you know, four or five, six year old, they were just ex- excited to see a little baby and everybody's bored because they're sort of hanging yeah. out in an airport like gate somewhere. So he had little kids in his face on the travel. Then we get here and it's my, you know, my mom, his grandmother is picking us up from the airport. And then he comes to the house. He meets my dad, he meets, uh, you know, stepmom, aunts and uncles. And it was every day. It was several people meeting him, wanting to hold him. And mm. he held on to the Hitomi Shitty just once or twice. But now he's successfully met like 20 people in a row. And it hasn't been an issue at all. That's good to hear. Yeah, I think it was just like, are you going to cry 16 hours a day? Because you're meeting <laughs> people for about 16 hours a day. And he just hit the wall with it. And he was like, oh, okay, I guess this is fine. I mean, he gets <laughs> passed around to everybody now. Um, I mean, dozens and dozens of people have held him in this last week. Uh, just because it's all extended family everywhere. Mm. And friends. And we went to a, another child's birthday party in America out at a park. So loads wow. of people there. Uh, we had a pool party here at the house. I mean, he's been around so many people. Hmm. So that's the that's the way. That's the way you break a child of the stranger anxiety is have them meet like a thousand people over the course of three days. It seems a lot easier, not just like traveling to America, but just being in America. Because I think it seems like it's more like, oh, give me this baby. I want to hold this little guy. Whereas yeah. Japan, I, I don't get a lot of that. Even at the yeah. Koromoen we went to, nobody once said, hey, can I hold him? There's a lot more forwardness like that in America, for sure. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of factors. One is that uh, coronavirus might as well have been 15 years ago in America. It's just <laughs> totally over and done with here. I was going to ask if you'd gotten it yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, I may have and have no idea. Yeah, I go to like the supermarket or wherever and it's a zero mask environment right now. Weird. Uh, whereas <laughs> Japan is a still basically 100% coverage in a business. You oh know? yeah. Um and the planes it was 100% on the planes which were coming out of Japan. Uh mm. but even as of now which we've just entered September 2022 Uh, As of a couple of months ago, the CDC dropped its advisory or its rule to wear masks even on planes. So you can travel, you can do anything um, in the U.S. And officially at the government level, it's like, yeah, we don't care anymore. Um, So I think just the lack of uh, coronavirus measures means that there's more people everywhere you go. And Mm. um yeah, people are uh, sort of back to the old way. And it is America where people are more 
uh, they'll just come out with it and say, let me hold him and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I still uh, religiously wear a mask everywhere I go, but I'm very often the only person. Yeah, I was going to ask if you're still sporting those and if you get any like dirty looks or if anybody says anything to you. Man, it's um, for me, I'm going to wear it because coronavirus is still a massive thing. It's a very Mm. uh, prominent, prevalent disease going around. And a mask is just like the cheapest, simplest little bit of prevention that you can do. And Mm. it doesn't make sense why you wouldn't do it. It it makes no logical sense to me why you wouldn't wear a mask out in a public place. Uh, but that being said, I went to like rural, rural Kentucky um, <laughs> to clean out this garage. I mean, it's like I live kind of in the middle of nowhere, but this was an hour drive away from here. Wow. And um, it, we went to get lunch at like a little general store, kind of convenience store, kind of general store. Yeah. And I forgot that there are some real like rednecks. Oh. in in kentucky and it's like i just i don't know in japan you see kind of all types of people except for real rednecks you know and you just forget that they exist and uh there are some like it's not like redneck is a negative word all the time there are some awesome people i'm friends with farmers and soldiers and everybody like uh, there's some really great people in all walks of life but like the redneck in particular is just like you know, no sleeves on any of his shirts. He's got like, you know, about half of his teeth are gone. He's got a grizzled look. He's leathery and sunbeaten. And uh, they're terrifying. They're really terrifying guys. (laughs) And they're all either wiry or they weigh 300 pounds. And they're just like, yeah. And we went into like a little shop in very rural Kentucky. And that was the entire clientele in the shop was those dudes. And um, I felt like there was a very cold atmosphere in there with me wearing my mask. Oh, <laughs> like I bet. No, yeah. Nobody said anything or did anything, but people would like look at me and then look for two seconds and then look away. You know, just hold the gaze long enough just to be disgusted and look away. Right. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was the only time I felt like mildly like, ooh, something's gonna happen. Oh, I'm wearing a mask. <laughs> oh no. Feels like you're describing like an episode of King of the Hill. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty much like that. Um, That was one little bit of culture shock. Because in Japan, you know, we know, like, everybody. We know people from so many different countries, so many different races. Yeah. Um, I know, like, conservative people, liberal people in Japan. I know everybody. But then I realized, ah, the Deep Woods Kentucky people, they don't make it over. No. (laughs) I haven't seen them in a few years. Yeah, it's always interesting, like, the the foreigners that we we know here and know of here you could fall into that spectrum of like independent liberal like conservative but i feel like they're always in the middle kind of mm-hmm. whereas if That's you go true. to america you're going to find that outskirt of everything and those yeah. people are <laughs> yeah. not going to travel to japan <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing is they're like self-selecting to probably not go out to another country. Maybe they have their reasons to want to be where they are. Anyway, done a little shopping in Corona-free America or Corona-worry-free America. Um, Right. uh, That's probably most of how the boy has met so many people and seen so many people. Mm. Um, Oh, another thing. I mentioned that we did a swim party. Here at my mm. dad's house, where I'm staying now, he's got like an in-ground pool. Yeah, which, I saw some pictures of that. 
Yeah, it's really fun. It's not like an Olympic-sized pool. It's just to kind of hang out and a little shallow end, a little deep end, simple little pool. But from the Japanese perspective, you have to be a multimillionaire to have that type of pool. Right. Because nobody has land for it, for one thing. And because nobody has land for it, there's no there's no supply chain for that. There's no like pool store, whereas no. in any town in the U.S., there is a pool store and you can go get everything. So I think when he got the pool put in, it was, I mean, it was in like the $20,000 range. So it's like, yeah, Hmm. you know, you could get a new car, get a pool, whatever. It's kind of in that same ballpark. I think they've gone up since then. But in Japan, I mean, you have to be a multimillionaire to have that. Uh, Yeah. So just the maintenance. uh, I think it it ends up looking pretty glamorous to the, the Japanese eye. And it's really fun, you know, for a Japanese person to get the experience here. So my wife and I and Nico, we've been swimming a couple of times. Um, they make, uh, it's basically like a walker, like you put your kid in the walker, you know, and he scoots around the floor. Hmm. They make a, a walker, but it floats, you know, and uh, wow. it's like a big ring of floatiness. And then there's a little baskety type mesh thing with two leg holes and you drop them in that. So oh. pretty much from the, the chest down, the kid is in the water but his arms are up on the the floats and then the the little platform. And he just, uh, he lounges, man. (laughs) Just, he leans back. He goes a lounger. Yeah. (laughs) He looks like he's about 45 years old. (laughs) Like he's got a baseball cap on straight face and just lounging in the pool. You should have brought some of those little four ounce beers they have here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It looked normal size in his hand. Yeah. Yeah. That would complete the image. <laughs> he likes to splash. He treats everything like it's a, like it's a job, you know? And he's like, oh, splashing. I see. Splash, splash. And uh, there's no smile on his face. But he's been living the pool life. And um, he might be getting spoiled by it. I don't know, because he doesn't show a lot of joy with it. It's just like he's trying to figure out what this experience is all about. Right. Well, that's good. At least he's not unhappy with the whole thing. Yeah, he and he'll do like a good 45 minutes in the pool before he gets fussy and wants to get out of there. Hmm. Um, I'll be interested to see if, uh, I don't know if you ever go to a pool uh, in Japan. I've never been to a pool in Japan. I have not. I don't like swimming, uh-huh. and it sounds pretty terrible. Actually, I was just talking to my cousin's husband about this. They go to a pool quite often, actually. And he said the one they go to is really irritating because every... 50 minutes they make everybody get out of the pool for 10 minutes mm-hmm. and then they can get back in the pool and so <laughs> it becomes this hassle of swim 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 all right mass exodus sit there cold wet get back in and you have to do that all the time so yeah honestly it sounds like a stupid experience <laughs> yeah <laughs> and yeah. it could just be that place i don't know if that's everywhere yeah well that's one thing that i I'm always reminded of when I come back to the U S is that it's actually fun. You know, yeah. there's just things here that are geared toward fun. And in Japan, I think the priorities are going to be cleanliness, orderliness, uh, rules for right. rules sake. And then whatever little fun you can squeeze out of that scenario, that's what you get. But in right. America, it's like, what do you want to do? Ride a three wheeler at the gun range. Okay. Go for <laughs> it. You know, anything goes, it's all fine. And uh, which this is a pool at the house, so we can kind of do whatever. But I've just noticed Mm -hmm. here and there, everything's chill. Nobody cares about anything. And you just do what you like. 
you know, you just gave me an idea. You're in Kentucky. So if you uh-huh. wanted to create a side business, you just said it. Three-wheeling gun range. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. It's, <laughs> I mean, I feel like somebody on Shark Tank just like set up in bed. Did I hear somebody say three-wheeler gun range? It's uh, it's the perfect plan. But it, that's how it is. And I uh, it, like there's always something going on here. There's always like, we were at a restaurant. We just went to a Mexican restaurant and the music was blasting and oh. everybody was having a good time. And I was like, you know, this music, part of me wants to say like, this is a little loud. But then part of me is like, it's a party in here. This yeah. is awesome. And it wasn't Muzak like played on an old Casio keyboard either. It was like just, I don't know, whatever crazy random music was just just really bumping in this decently Man, nice restaurant. I do miss a good Mexican restaurant. That's one thing I miss. Oh, yeah. Mexican is just, it's ridiculous. I mean, 10 page menu, everything is probably three to 4,000 calories. I mean, it's just, it's Perfect. insane. Yeah, Perfect. it's really good. Um, <laughs> but that just, it wouldn't happen in Japan. It's like you walk into the restaurant in Japan and it's about how pleasant of an environment can they make and right. uh, how much can they not offend your sensibilities, basically. And at right. this, uh, at any restaurant here, really, but this one in particular we went to, they're like, nope, crank the music. It's going to be awesome. And it was. <laughs> it was really fun. They're like, we don't want to hear chewing. Yeah. <laughs> Get that <laughs> out of here. <laughs> yeah. So they were drowning it all out. It was just, it was really enjoyable. It feels like there's always like half of a party going on somewhere in the United States, mm. especially compared to Japan, which Japan, you know, has its place. If you like the peaceful life and no disruptions, no surprises, right? it's really comfortable. Um, and you know what you're going to get, you know, no fights are going to break out and that mm. sort of thing. But uh, America has a baseline of fun everywhere, I think. Yeah, I'd agree. I think we can uh, head on over into segment land if you are ready for that. Sure. Welcome to segment in land. Welcome to the majestic segment in Lantern. Uh, today. <laughs> We're talking about flying with a six-month-old baby, because I just did that. Sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, I've got the scoop here. Um, I'll say just from the very beginning, I'm going to do kind of like a top five or whatever, but even before I get into that, I always heard, you know, a baby that sits on your lap and a baby who's under two is free of charge on the flight. But it turns out that that's only for domestic flights generally. There could be exceptions to this, but the basic Mm. rule is for a lap baby under two, you have to pay 10% of whatever the ticket cost was for that seat, like additional. Wow. If your ticket, I mean, a ticket to the US these days, you could find it for say $1,600, $1,700, maybe $2,000. Then you'll just pop on an extra 160 bucks to say 200 bucks to cover that kid sitting there. Um, which was a surprise to me because I always went in hearing like, Oh yeah, kids fly free up to two. No big deal. But international is a different story. And then of course there are fees and whatever on top of it. So that's, uh, something else to think about factor in a little more cost. But, um, tip number one would be, to book your flight early to get the best seating that you can possibly get for this baby. 
And I mean, if you can plan out your trip, if you have the luxury to plan it out five or six months in advance, go ahead and book it. Uh, just go for it because you're going to need bulkhead seats, which is the seat without anything in front of it, just the wall in front of it, you know? Right. That's the gold mine right there because uh, at least on Delta, the flight we took, the, you know, the long flight from Tokyo to uh, Atlanta is like 13 hours. Uh, with with the bulkhead seats, you can get a little bassinet that clips into the wall mm. and it's just big enough to fit. I think our six to seven month old baby was just right at the edge of almost being too big for it. Wow. So if your kid's that young, uh, then you need to be in the front row of your section with a wall sort of in front of you. Mm. Okay. So um, the only way to do that is to book very early because we booked like two months in advance and the seat availability was still just spotty and the seats we right. needed were not there at all. So this is like point number one B. Even if you can't get the early booking and reserve the cot for yourself or the little bassinet and get the bulkhead seats, go to the gate and talk to them about it and they will try to help you and they'll pull mm. strings. They'll like, you know, if some seats are reserved for whoever, you know, handicapped people, whatever, they'll switch things around to put you where you need to be. And nice. I don't know if they bumped anybody or if they just constantly have a certain section of bulkhead seats reserved, but we reserved totally different seats. And we went to the gate, uh, the gate agent right before we got on the flight, you know, we were there mm. an hour too early, but it was like the last stop before we got on the plane uh, within the airport. And then the woman was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll figure it out. And then sure enough, she moved us into two bulkhead seats. No questions asked. Didn't have to negotiate it with anybody. Didn't have to like beg anyone to change places. Wow. Uh, and we got two of them for my wife and me both. So yeah. it wasn't just like the lucky one who got up there. So I would say the airline staff is motivated to make the baby as happy as possible, which would make, then make all the other passengers as happy as possible. So right. they have ways of pulling strings and making it work. Uh, so it, it's also something that you can't organize necessarily beforehand because, you know, seats mm. get taken up quickly and then there's no way to call anybody, which I tried all of this stuff to, you know, talk to somebody on a messenger app or whatever, or to use the um, right. use the app for Delta and try to reserve things and move things around. It's like everyone told me, just talk to your gate agent, talk to your gate agent. So at that very last hmm. step, I thought for sure we would be out of luck, but it turns out that woman was really in charge and she moved us exactly where we needed to be. So that was good. I think that makes sense. On every flight I've been on that where there's a kid, they're always up by the bulkhead. So I think there's an understanding like they just try to move them. Yeah. You just get them where it's going to be the easiest ride for everybody. And yeah. um, I don't know how they figure it all out, but I think they have some of those seats like uh, permanently kind of blocked and then they fill them mm. in or rearrange at the last minutes or whatever. Yeah, that was great. Um, it made a huge difference because if we had been like in the midst of regular rows of seats, I can't imagine just getting around and doing the things you need to do with the baby. Mm. So um, that was crucial. It's good to talk to people, basically. Next up, I'll say to strip down your carry-on because mm. you've got a baby which is effectively a live carry-on 
already, <laughs> you know? Um, when you go through security, you can wear like a baby Bjorn or some type of papoose or whatever, you know, you can have the baby kind of on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go through security and they actually don't make you take the baby off or the the baby Bjorn or whatever. We're in the, the Ergo Baby Omni and I don't know, he can face any direction, front, back and mm. all that. Uh, so it's this big contraption with a lot of straps and a lot of padding and stuff, but they don't make you take that off actually. Uh, wow. whether it's the U S airport or the Japanese airport, international, domestic, whatever my wife wore it through. Um, wow. and I might've worn it through once as well. Come to think of it. And you go through the metal detector just with your baby attached to you. And of course you've got to do the normal stuff, uh, taking out your laptop, um, you know, taking your shoes off, emptying your pockets and that sort of thing. You got to take your shoes off, but you don't have to take a baby carrier off. Yeah, the baby carrier <laughs> plus baby stays exactly where it is. No questions asked. Oh it's my fine. God. <laughs> that was surprising to me. I thought, you know, we would have to lay Nico on the conveyor belt and look at his x-ray or something, but they didn't make us do that. That is to say that you're carrying a baby and you're carrying a big padded baby, you know, carrier papoose or whatever. Mm. So that means you don't want to also then have all your bulky carry-ons because you're just going to start running out of shoulders to put things on and right. you know places to stash things or uh, it's it would just be too much. So what we did is we started with the diaper bag and considered mm-hmm. that a carry-on and then we filled in all the gaps of the diaper bag with like a little book, little laptop can slide into the diaper bag. And so it was the diaper bag we normally carry with a couple of add-ons, and that was one of our carry-ons. Then the other carry-on was basically all of my stuff and my wife's stuff together. But even that was stripped down. Like, you don't need a book, you know? You're going to watch the infotainment system, so don't bring a book. Who needs a book? One thing I will recommend is, and I'm going to go on to point three now, This is to pack extra everything for yourself and the baby. Because Mm. worst case scenario is the baby poops through his clothes and then that poop goes through your clothes as well. So (laughs) suddenly you're on the plane and you need to change everyone's everything all at the same time. Mm. Um, So I went like underwear, shorts, t-shirt, socks in my bag and all that stuff for my wife and two of all that stuff for the baby, just in case the Hmm. poop hit the fan as it were. Um, Good idea. Yeah. We didn't need it, but you're going to want to conserve space in your carry on for like, you know, more clothing items Mm. uh, and that sort of thing. um, Just because you don't want the ultimate baby disaster and then to not be prepared for it. My rule is always to bring an extra set of clothes just in Mm. case your luggage gets lost. Yeah, that's good if you have to wait overnight for your bag. Yeah. That is solid advice. With uh, you know, poop time bomb hanging over your head, <laughs> it's even more pressing to do that. So uh, yeah, I would say like consider the diaper bag as carry-on number one and then just fill in the gaps on the diaper bag anywhere there's extra space. And then you and your spouse share the other carry-on. And you don't want to do that thing where it's like, well, I can bring a purse and a laptop bag and my carry because you, you're just going to be like taking too much stuff. Right. Oh, and you do get priority like, uh, you know, admittance to the plane, like even before group A or whatever. It's, oh, that's uh, right. 
yeah, families or people who need more time. You go in and then all the overhead compartments are empty. There's nobody in your way. You get settled and then you're sitting there for, you know, 45 minutes waiting to take off. But uh, <laughs> your stuff is where it is. Nobody can mess with it. And that's a nice yeah. feeling. Number four, tip number four is if all else fails, just wait it out because even a 13 hour flight, it's like every hour passes and then it's over. So mm. what's going to happen? I mean, he's going to cry. Okay. Well, 13 hours later, it's over. Who cares? So it's stressful, <laughs> but it's like anything else like that, that you know, it's going to come to an end eventually. So don't look at it as this massive thing looming in your future. Look at it as a very temporary thing that's going to come and go mm. and try to make it as fine as you can. But I wouldn't even go overboard. Like some people make those gift bags that say like, sorry, we're bringing a baby. Here's some candy, you know, like that sort of thing for surrounding passengers. Oh no, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't even go down that road because it's like, look, we're all flying somewhere. We get it. You know yeah. what's going to happen. Um, so it was fine. Uh, Nico on the plane actually was really good. I think the only thing was that he gets very shouty when he's happy. Oh. And if you have a shouty, happy baby, it's like, well, there's nothing I can do. He's as happy as he can possibly be. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't improve his situation at all for him because he's already yeah. there. You're like the other end of this is worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just enjoy this while you got it. But I would say he spent probably two hours of the 13 hours just being very loud and happy about it. Well, that's not too bad. Yeah. So that was an awful, the, you know, when he cries being hungry or needing a diaper change or something, then you can take care of it and you know, you can make it stop. But um, mm. it's kind of oddly unnerving when he's just so full of joy and you're like, sorry, sorry, you know, to everybody sitting around, but mm -hmm. you know, the kid's happy. So you kind of don't feel sorry, but it's a weird spot to be in. Did he sleep much? He slept a bit, but um, we heard this actually from the stewardesses or flight attendants or whatever, that um, kids usually don't get on well with the bassinet and oh. people use the bassinet just as a shelf and oh, that turned okay. out to be our thing exactly. He probably slept in the bassinet for about 30 minutes of the 13 hours. Hmm. But I think that there's too much like bounciness of turbulence plus right. noises. Plus, they're technically not supposed to be in the bassinet if the fasten seatbelt sign is on. Uh, um, because that means things are getting a little too bouncy to be safe. So you got to take them out and hold them. And so if you're picking them up, putting them down, and then there's like people talking, people walking by, like the kid can't get into the good sleep mode, I think. Mm. What we did was we had seats side by side. So we just raised the armrest. We kind of stuffed the little airline pillows and all the gaps like between us and maybe mm. between our legs to make sort of a flat surface. And he slept across our laps for many hours of the flights. I oh, don't know how good. long. Yeah, maybe five, six, seven hours in total. He was wow. just knocked out, but kind of laying across our laps. Uh, and you have to be very delicate and, you know, not disturb him. Uh, mm. But it, it's it's better than him being like really squirmy. So uh, we welcomed it. How many movies did you watch? I, you know, on a normal flight like that, I can get about four or five movies down. Uh, yeah. This time I got two movies, Ooh. which was pretty good. And then... Uh, my wife got one movie 
um, <laughs> which she's more like, you know, needing to do the breastfeeding and on and off with the, oh, the cape that she wears. Right. And so I think it kind of, and she can sleep on flights as well. I can't. So I was just awake the entire time. I can't either. I don't understand people who can. Yeah. Uh, Japanese people. I feel like my wife, like on the train, you know, <laughs> in Japan, they can oh. just put their head down and sleep indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah, so she got a little sleep, maybe more than me. Um, I watched uh, the original Austin Powers, oh, of course. Nice. It, it holds up. Very, very funny. <laughs> and uh, I watched Moonfall. I don't know if you've heard about that. Oh, yeah, I watched that too. Terrible. Yeah. It was... <laughs> In a good way. Yeah. The sci-fi idea was so good and so rich and then you just populate it with sort of bad actors and an awful script. And, Dude, there uh, were good actors in it, though. Yeah, who acted very badly for some reason. Yeah, they did a terrible happened. job. Yeah, it was very strange. Yeah. I think the, the script was kind of bogus, but the idea was so solid. I feel like they were going like full Sharknado, like on purpose. Yeah, yeah, parts of it, yeah. Like um, the moon skims the earth. <laughs> Yeah, but like Sharknado is like a dumb idea. But then I think this isn't a great idea. I think it was like the moon is hurtling, like circling closer and closer to Earth. That's terrifying. But uh, yeah, it was it was very foolish. Often, anyway, I I got that in. I played a lot of chess on the plane. Oh, um, I'm gonna surprised. go ahead and yeah, uh, I won't even humble brag. I'll just out and out brag. I played the like infotainment centers game, you know, setting or whatever. I played chess on that mm. and I, I beat it on easy. I was like, okay, that's fine. And then wow. I beat it on, beat it on medium. And then I beat it on difficult. And I was like, I don't know if I want to be on a plane where I can beat the plane's computer on difficult. Like what's, was this from 1975? Like what's going on with this plane? <laughs> so I was slightly alarmed that it, yeah, it took so long to think about its moves and then was very bad. Thankfully, it's not AI aware and then just gets depressed and decides <laughs> to give up on life. <laughs> starts starts nosing down and have to sacrifice some pieces. Uh, but yeah, so that was my trip, basically. Nice. That doesn't sound too bad then for a 13-hour flight. Yeah, it was all right. It was a good balance. Um, the final thing, this is point number five, is... Jet lag is interesting in a baby after you get off the flight hmm. um, because the baby has no reason to be awake at any given time, you know? So hmm. the way you overcome jet lag is you force yourself to stay awake later and you force yourself to, you know, go to bed on time and you right. basically just make yourself adapt to the new schedule. But a kid is just like, well, I'm going to sleep in the day anyway. It doesn't matter. I take naps, don't I? You know, he's fine. So. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to get the baby adjusted. Luckily, our son likes to wake up. And if you wake him up right out of a sleep, he gets a big smile on his face and he's like, oh, what's going on? Cool. Let's <laughs> let's play. So I haven't, like, neither my wife nor I have really pushed it so far, but now we're like a week in and it's still kind of jet laggy madness. So hmm. we're going to start waking him up more ardently and uh, more on a schedule, you know, eight or nine in the morning. Gotcha. The other thing I didn't anticipate is that your your wife will probably follow the kid on the jet lag schedule 
because the kid needs feedings. And if you're breastfeeding, then the wife just has to be awake at those times. So uh, my wife couldn't really get over jet lag because the baby wasn't really forced to get over jet lag. Mm. So we're going to start pushing the boy to wake up earlier and go to bed at a better time rather than just waiting for him to come around. Interesting. So just in general, sleep training. Yeah. Yeah. You just go back to square one on sleep training and hopefully get the ship righted in about a week. Those are all my tips and observation from Hmm. flying with a six-month-old baby. And I think we can get into uh, my question for you is... Since I'm uh, in the U.S., this came to mind. Uh, what's one thing that you would pick up from the U.S. and drop off in Japan for the sake of your kid? And uh, it doesn't have to be a small thing like a particular brand or food or toy. I mean, you could choose a massive, massive part of the culture. Just something that you could wholesale, take out of the U.S. and insert it into Japan specifically for your kid's life or his good time that's a really tough question because there's aspects of everything i kind of like but in the same thing i kind of don't like it Mm -hmm. like i really want to say like schooling Uh I, i like i like no uniforms i like the flexibility of the education there's more like elective choices when you get into high school and personal options and and that kind of stuff but then there's the safety issues that go along with it or you know kids get lost in the system Mm -hmm. so i kind of want to say the education system so i guess i'll I'll go with that just loosely loosely the education system i think um japan of course is famous for internationally being like a top five sort of country in uh math, science, and even reading. I think Japan is uh, at least top 10, maybe mm. if not top five. I was writing about this uh, for the newspaper a few months ago and I was looking into these numbers and Japan mm. is right up there. It's like a lot of Southeastern Asian countries are dominating mm. the list, but Japan is holding its ground. It's way up on the list. Um, but I think if you're that high up on a standardized testing list, it yeah. means that you're at the extreme of a type of education that is good for standardized testing. And that might not be the most desirable type of education. Yeah. So I feel like, I don't know, it's like being the best dancer in the world or something. It's like, well, you've probably given up your entire social life to be that. Right. So do you Mm. want to be the best dancer in the world? Like it's a little crazy. So I, uh, I think that the American system, even though they would rank say more like, you know, top, 30 top 40 in those fields i feel like they just have a better balance of critical thinking skills and coming up with uh you know creative solutions to things and in all in place of rote memorization i would prefer that for the kid as well yeah i think it's that that major difference of like rote memorization versus critical thinking tasks Mm -hmm. like there's more emphasis on that in america where you would like critically think about this subject and then write about it versus yeah here's a list of things to memorize now go take a test yeah so i think that's a solid choice um you know if i could give japan any advice about their educational system i would say like you know what just relax and slip down the rankings a little bit yeah and you'll get better overall outcomes um Mm. better than you know chasing 
kind of arbitrarily being good at this or that test. Right. Uh, you can educate people in other ways that may not show up on paper, but it just makes a better life for everyone. Mm. For me, um, uh, it's tough. I'm down to two, and I already mentioned one, so I'm, I'm not going to choose that one. Uh, hmm. The one that I mentioned earlier was ju- just like the sense of fun around the U.S. and mm. sort of being a bit lax with, or just not overdoing it with rules for every single thing. Right. Um, that's just a load off your mind because for every one rule in America, you have 10 in Japan and mm. it's just, it frees up your mind a lot to not have to worry about stuff. Yeah. So I would, you know, that would be a nice thing to do, but I'm going to go with housing in general Ooh. <laughs> because <laughs> we're <good>. here. <laughs> yeah. It, we're here now in my dad's house and it's central heat and air, baby. Oh, and that's the dream. Living the dream. <laughs> you can walk from room to room in total comfort. In, in the same clothes? In the same clothes. You don't have to dread sections of your house for most of the year. <laughs> what is your, if you if you know off the top of your head, what is your your parents' average like heat and cooling bill look like? Oh, I, ha- I have no idea. Absolutely oh, okay. no idea. But... Uh, I, I, it would be worth any price just to be able to <laughs> enjoy your house, you know, as God intended. Kentucky is humid, right? It's pretty humid. It's not as bad as Japan, though, where we are. Okay, but you guys still need AC. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you guys will have one of those outside units then, and it just pumps the air through ducts in the flooring. Yeah, the HVAC, like the, oh, okay. the huge outdoor unit, yeah. It's just so like, it's an, again, one of those things you don't have to worry about because you don't have to right. think like, oh, I'm going to go upstairs in 30 minutes. I need to turn on the air. Con- I've got to turn this one off and yep. blah, blah, blah. It's just sort of always comfortable and you don't even think about it. And that's, right. it's such a lifestyle change. Um, you can do anything you want, go anywhere through the house. Mm-hmm. But also these are some kind of knock on effects of well-built homes is like everything is so well insulated it's mm. like, yeah, you want to turn up your music? Turn up your music. Nobody can hear it. You're in an insulated yep. house. Cool. Yep. You know, and just everything that you do, you can just kind of walk around more freely, do things that might be a bit noisy or whatever, and it doesn't matter. It's all fine. Yeah, I think Japanese houses never got past. Like, it made sense 100 years ago kind of to make everything out of paper so it so the air flowed through, humidity didn't stick to anything, and it just kind of, it was easier but in this almost the same environment you're in in Kentucky, like you have a, a well-built insulated home and it doesn't have to have that same kind of design to it. So they can do it in Japan. It's just the lack of change that occurs in these areas that prevents it. It's like the institutional knowledge of every construction company and the supply chain of products yeah. available to them. And uh, I think they're kind of victims of their own circumstance a lot of times. But then there's also just, um, well, we like to do it this way. That's the Japanese way. And you're sort of right. fighting that as well. Yeah. So all of it is kind of like a confluence of all these things. And it makes the houses not that comfortable. What also drives me insane now is that I'm in uh, somewhat rural Kentucky. So you drive by a house that would be an absolute dream house and it costs like two thirds of what you paid for your house in Japan. You know, Um, 
it's it's well, remarkable. We come from different markets in America, so it's kind yeah. of the opposite for me. <laughs> yeah. When I go back to Seattle, it's like, oh, this is a shithole, and it's four times what I paid in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> in rural Kentucky, like if you take whatever you paid for your house, if you live in Japan and you can hear my voice, then it doesn't matter what area <laughs> you live in. Take whatever you paid for your house, and you will be not maybe not a one percenter, but you'll be like a four percenter in Kentucky. You know, you'll have a better house than your twenty-five closest friends, <laughs> and uh, you can just lord it over them. Um, uh, and your yeah. your neighbor is going to be a nice redneck guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're going to have some real upscale rednecks. Like you'll live next to the Duck Dynasty people. It's going to be. It, you'll be rubbing elbows with. Uh, with Nashville Hollywood types. Yeah, that's the thing I would take. And then if I could be greedy, I would take the property as well. Like just, you know, nice yard for everybody. Uh, nice, well-insulated house. Nice. Everything just feels good and comfortable. And you can look out and, I don't know, you, you're not uh, missing the yard where you guys are in the country there. No, we're, we're pretty good. Yeah. But uh, swimming pool and I don't know, just the stuff. It's just America just has cool stuff. It is a stuff country. Yeah, they're all stuffed out here. So I would take that. <laughs> Good choice. I heard a rumor that you have Japanese of the day today. Yeah, I kind of do. I'm not sure. I think we've covered maybe one of these. I have three different things and I mentioned it earlier. Uh, one of them was the Kodomo N, which mm-hmm. was the daycare preschool that we visited earlier with Koda. And so there's two other words that go along with this. One is Yochien, and then the other one's Hoikuen. Mm-hmm. And all of these are similar in that they're pre-grade school, either daycares or schools or a combination of them. Kodomo N breaks down where Kodomo just means child and then n means typically garden or park but when you put them together like this it becomes like a daycare preschool isn't it crazy by the way that like kindergarten also has that or garten also has that like german garden at the end and so basically kids are just thrown out into the yard yeah yeah put the kids (laughs) in the yard kids in the yard give them a book (laughs) yeah it crosses cultural barriers Yochien and Hoikuen also have the same N at the end, and it's exactly the same park garden meaning, but the beginning's a little different. Um, Yochien together means like young child park, mm-hmm. and that's one where uh, it's typically for three to six-year-old kids they go, and it's like a preschool level where they have like structured education, and they're going through like an actual learning environment. Mm-hmm. The other one, Hoikuen, is more of like a daycare. And if you take the first two kanji from that, the hoiku, hoi means like keep and iku means upbringing. But if you put them together, it means daycare, hoiku. Okay. And then en is, again, the gardener park. So mm-hmm. hoikuen is daycare park. <laughs> I always wondered about that. And it is similar to the U.S. or into in an English-speaking country where you have those overlapping terms like uh, daycare and preschool and it's like right. what what are all these things but yeah japan has those three and i've yeah. only known the one that i'm going to i know it's called a hoikuen so that's what i say but i don't know mm-hmm. all right i never knew why i was saying hoikuen 
I think the the Hoikuen starts from it's like a daycare, but it also does some teaching stuff. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of interrelated. Just depends on the age that you can drop them off and kind of their main focus. The Hoikuen is like any age until like grade school age, and then the, it's basically just the daycare for them. That was my Japanese of the day for I think that was the first time, wasn't it? Yeah, impressive. I know. I saved up 40 episodes for it. Yeah. I'm out of the country for a week and you just overtake me in Japanese. It's alarming. That's what it took. Well, um, I have two dad jokes. Okay, I've got one. I will kick it off then. What fruit really loves roller coasters? Fruit roll-up? I don't know. Good could guess it's actually no. a kiwi oh my god <laughs> nice. oh very stupid you really got to add that in yeah you gotta sell that one yeah <laughs> i barely did okay i got a kind of a short one you think gas prices are expensive have you seen chimneys they're through the roof oh man <laughs> I thought it was stopping at Have You Seen Chimneys? And I was like, <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> Felt stupid uh, for two it's seconds. Terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, all right. The last one is, why did the cowboy buy a corgi? Corgi. I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> because he wanted to get a long little doggy. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh it's precious Uh, it's terrible it's a little precious joke uh it is it really is all right well uh you're looking a little jet laggy and tired there should we call this a day for your sake yeah that's good i think my i got swimmer's shoulder if that's a thing my shoulder's killing me i'm swimming too much First world think, problems. I think the, in Japanese they call it yonju kata, forty-year-old shoulder. Forty-year-old shoulder. Oh man, you're layering Japanese all over this episode. It's amazing. Uh, I'm amazing. <laughs> all right, thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us on Twitter at JPops Podcast or by email at info at the jpops.com. And we'll talk to you next time. It's pull time. <laughs>